Welcome to episode 549 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team. Welcome along to episode five. No, it's not a four, John. It's a four, four, nine of I Am Talk. <laughs> Have you been drinking again? Oh, you know me, John. I love my morning nip. I'm not looking forward to picking up our call record a little uh, look, I had to put my chewing plastic gum on there. box. I put my chewing gum on there. chewing gum on there. Look, watch it. Look, take it off. You never know it's there. Oh. It was either there on the, or on the cloth. And I'm like, well, the box is all right. Okay. Okay. I'm talking proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And oxygen addict. Mm, good old, good old. We'll be on the show today as well. So yeah. it's good times, rock and roll. Okay, Jombo. And our patrons. Patrons, let's name a few. Thomas the Barge Deary. I'm going to get you to do the second one, John. Uh, Joe Aragon Spragans. Then we've got Nemo, uh, Dory, Nemo, Nemo, Dory, bra. Yep, Brock. I know it's Brock, but it's just, yeah, good. And Rob, give me more. Yeah. Um, and then Jeremy. Canadian? Canadian. Canadian? Hopwood. He was over on an IM Talk camp. He's half Canadian, half Australian. Oh, yeah. The Canadian. The Canadian. That's where I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Okay. Um, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a website of the week. John's loving the website of the week. We have age group of the week. We've got. Two interviews today, or three, three actually. So who we got, Jumbo? We've got Moira Horan, who is on the board of the Woman for Try with um, Iron Man. Dave Dwan put me onto her, so he caught up with her in Kona. Thought she'd be a good chat, hear about what they're trying to achieve. Um, we've got Rich Izzo from Tough Man. I've, I haven't actually heard of Tough Man, but it sounds like a fantastic half Ironman series through America, 17 races. Mm. So want to give them a bit of love because we like the non-Ironman races. We love Ironman too. And then we've got Rob Wilby from Oxygen Addict. We love Ironman too. That's very nice of you to say, John. Mm. Yeah, I've got a few questions Most and answers at the end. And uh, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> uh, and then we've got our patrons, just to give them some more love at the end. Okay, Jombo. So first of all, not much news this week. It's definitely the quiet time of the year, although we're about to head into the season. But the only result we have is from... 70.3 Pucon or Pucon. We get it wrong every year. Yep. Uh, oh, so half, half Ironman, people rave about this event. Um, it's And Lionel Sanders took it out four hours and eight minutes um, for a sort of about a six-minute victory over Felipe Berazari from, I'm going to say, Chile. And Luciano... <coughs> You're right there. You're going to live. <coughs> Damn, Armands. Uh, Close finish there, five seconds between second and third between Felipe and Luciano Tacconi. So Lionel Sanders started the year the way he finished last year by kicking some butt. Very close race on the girls' side of things. Barbara Riveros came from behind to take it by 30 seconds from wow. Alicia Kay. Uh, did it on the run. She's a fantastic ITU runner. And then Hayley Chura in third. So uh, some good racing down there early season. And that's this week's news. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so although John has got a rant. Do you want to do the rant before we do the website? the week oh, okay okay so he's given the legend of our game a hard time this is true well wow. there's one name who's a legend of broadcasting and triathlon it's bob pepper and i'm gonna say bob pepper is the most loveliest man mm-hmm. and good-hearted you know just so much respect for what he's done in his career not just in triathlon but what he's done outside of triathlon but anyway yeah, so let's put him up before we kick him down uh who sent me through this 
I think it might have been Peter Mills, I think. Um, people are loving, people are sending us emails all the time saying, oh, what about this one? What about this one? So this is, my rant continued about the World poor, poor use of the term fastest Ironman time ever. And so Bob Bob Brabbit, he he's actually, I'm going to give him the prize for being the worst at this. Oh, because someone sent one through and they said, well, how about this one? And I was like, they had world record for Ironman brand race. And I was like, mm. no, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm, okay, I'm okay with that. Yep. So on Rob Bob's got now babbittville.com um, and, and even on the website before he does the, the podcast interview is, is Lionel Sanders got ready to defend his title at Ironman Arizona his plan was to be patient be wise and be ruthless he ended up adding one more be the fastest ever he's not the fastest ever he's very fast but they've been saying that he's saying his plan was to be mm-hmm then to kick oh, off the show, being, okay, sorry, no, then, I, then I listened to, I listened to the, the first part of the interview and to kick off the show, Bob said, um, breaking not only the course record, but the fastest Ironman in history. Hmm. That's poor. And what I've noticed is all these rants around American websites and podcasts. The rest of the world respects that this is an awesome achievement that Lionel Sanders did there, but it's not the fastest time ever. So come on, Americans, pull your socks up, get your head out of your ass and respect that Wrote is an iron distance race. None of these races are 100% accurate, and it's all kind of just. Yeah, but, but it's not the fastest. It's really, really annoying me, Bevan. I, I and I'm going to keep going on this. I was going to say, I think we need to let it go. But no, <laughs> you're going to. We're going to keep going. Yeah. So 20 years from now, when someone we'll still have it on the show. Exactly. That's right. This let actually, it go. This actually, let it go. <laughs> we've got that. I can. I can bring that along. Felicity's going to run her on a new iPod. Um, that leads on nicely to this week's website of the week. Okay, one, two, three. Website of the week. Okay, this so who sent it through? Is gold. Daniel we, Clark. Daniel Clark actually developed this website. Oh, really? It's his website? Yeah. Okay, he, so here we go. John, hey, John, big fan of I Am Talk. Thanks for all the work you're doing, giving me something to listen to on my walk to work. I've been working on a project that I thought would be useful if you're talking about or to an athlete on the show and want to see their results. I've created a searchable database of pro athlete results from most Ironman distance races. There's still a few kinks to iron out, but if you want to look up the results, you can do that. Here's the link, and it's trisplits.com. And John John came in. He was he was fizzing. This is gold. And I, I actually only stumbled across the Facebook message he sent me because, I don't know, he wasn't a friend or something, and so I didn't oh, really yeah, go in there. Said, yeah. And for some reason, I went in there and saw about four messages that were quite important, and <laughs> one of them being from him. And uh, so he sent this to me months ago, and I sent him a reply saying, this is gold. And then he said, yeah, since I sent that email, I haven't been devoting as much time to it as he wants to, and he's got a few new ideas. But this is awesome because what I want, and Torsten's stuff is awesome what he does, and yeah. I love it you guys know that but what I want is if Bevan is going to goes to me oh you know something like oh Tim Don he's had a pretty average last couple of years and, and we, I go mm, maybe not I want somewhere I can go boom plug in Tim Don's name and it'll bring up all his results it's awesome like that so you even put in John Newsom or Bevan James Isles and <laughs> we're even in there from a couple of results I'm from, to, I'm put up Tim Don yeah yeah he's got Ironman World Champions he's DNF yeah <laughs> but he got second in Florida he got World Championship, we got 15th. This is Iron Distance Racing. It's only Iron Distance Racing, and I think that's good because it'd be too hard to, um, you know, to to add every bloody 70.3. But, you know, if I, if I chuck in, uh, say, Joe Skipper, we know he's a real crowd favourite for you guys. Uh, it basically has all his races all in one place, a bit like Athlinks, but it's all, you know, 
with Athlinks, you've got a sort of opt-in, whereas this this guy's going out and uh, gathering all the data. So Joe, you know, got 42nd at Kona, was a poor result, but did second at Challenge Road in 7.56, got his Ironman New Zealand result, all the way back to his Ironman UK in 2013 when he went 8.51 and got third. So for, for us, and if you're watching a race and you're going, I don't recognise that name, copy and paste, put it in, you can see what, what they're like. So I think that's, this is gold. So that's one angle. You can search by name, yep. but then you can also search by um, by rate different races. And uh, so he's got all those, those results, but it's also got the top iron distance times. Uh, and Jan Fredino in first place in 7.35, Andreas Raylert in se- second place in 7.41, and Lionel Sanders in third place in 7.45. Now, what was really interesting, let me just see... Uh, was the fastest splits. He's got a fastest splits button. Okay. And on there, he's got the fastest splits for 2016. Just before, I, I'll, I'll do, have a think. There's someone okay, in, look. in the males list, he's got the top 10. Fastest splits for a swim, bike, run. Yep. There's a name in there. I'll go into the girls in a second. There's got two entries in there for the top ten fastest times of 2016. So have a think who that might be, and then we'll go to the we'll go to the girls. Actually, on the girls, the same sort of thing. We've got one we're one young. female who's got three entries in the top ten, and we've got another female who's got two entries in the top ten. Wouldn't it be Jan Fredino? No, it would not. You sure. He, yes. Fastest times last fastest year. Fastest times last year. Here's the fastest time. But Kona's not a fast course, so he didn't go under eight in Kona. So you've got to think, these are guys that are all under eight hours. So if you want to think about oh, this, I'll, I'll the do the answer now. But if you're thinking, who could that be who's had two times, they're both under eight hours. I know it. I guarantee you don't, I unless do, you're, I've unless just unless seen you're it. on the page. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want, don't want to know the answer, pause now. But the answer is Patrick Nilsson. Nil- There's no way in hell I would have got that. Uh, so he did Ironman Copenhagen in 7.49, and then he did Ironman Barcelona in 7.55. Oh, John, what about Brett McMahon? Because he did it's 46 also, and 50. also Brett McMahon. And he did faster than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Good, glad to keep me honest. <laughs> uh, so that was that's impressive, Patrick Nelson. Well done. It's funny if you look at the females. So on the front page of the website, they've got the fastest, 10 fastest times of all time. Mm. Oh, I'm going to his third fastest of all time. Exactly. So guys, it's Fredino, Ray Lert, Sanders... Uh, Marino, McMahon, Ivan Marana, Marino, Patrick Nelson, Fredino, McMahon, another top 10. But girls, Chrissy, Chrissy, Reef, Chrissy, Chrissy, Stefan, Chrissy, Eva Wittle. Yeah, was it, uh, I think I'd know that that would have been at uh, Copenhagen, maybe. Yeah, 213, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Rinda Caffrey, and then Rebecca Keek. Remember that back in, she smashed it in 2009? Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, she didn't really do much afterwards, did she? She did a bit before. Yeah, I think she had a good time in Australia, but she, you know, of that, you know, to be one of the top ten of all time, mm. you know, the career didn't really match that. Mm. If you know what I mean? So uh, on the girls' side of things, the top ten last year, so Daniela Reef was in there three times with uh, Rote, Kona. That's awesome when Kona is the fourth fastest time of the year. Yeah, uh, and in Switzerland. And then the other, Yvonne Van Vlerken was in there twice. Challenger Rote eight forty nine and Ironman Arizona eight fifty one. So good on her. So like the thing is yeah, now I can go and look on Patrick Nilsson, who I would not have picked to have two in the top ten, but he's uh, yeah he had those two wins. Uh, Ironman Cozumel end of last year didn't finish, but he won Ironman Sweden the year before, second at Australia, won Ironman Malaysia, twelfth at Sweden. Pretty impressive resume. It was one one zero one two one twelve. 
good times. Good record. Oh, okay, so this is trysplits.com. Check it out. If you're watching races, put it into your favourites and stuff, and then you can just basically go and see what pros of uh, what their results have been like, and I'll be using this a lot this year. Good times. Well done. What was his name, Daniel? Well done, Daniel. Great work. Excellent. Trysplits.com, and we're going to pause because we've got an interview. We have been interviewing like crazy, haven't we, John? Boom, boom, boom. Three interviews back to back to back. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about our sponsor first. Uh, extreme Endurance. I'm loving the new promo code. I am Talk20. Get 20% off. So it's off everything except for the bundled packages because I've already got a discount on them. So use promo code I am Talk20. Should be good to go on .com, um, .eu or whatever it is, .co.uk, .eu and uh, get yourself a great deal. Also check out the protein chocolate drink. It's uh, 20 grams. As you can tell, John just eaten his. I've just had my little uh, M's power cookie bite to get myself ready for my bike ride. What flavour did you go with? I do like the chocolate oat. I think my favourite is the cranberry, but chocolate oat is my second favourite. Mm. And then I'd probably go peanut butter and then apricot would be fourth. Peanut butter sounds pretty good. Mm, it is. It's a little bit crunchier, a little bit drier. Oh, now, John, I know we're in the sponsor section right now, but this is pretty important. I saw good old the Holy Hammer the other day mm -hmm. out on the bike road. A couple of funny stories. I have a question to ask you later on the show. <laughs> yep. But... He told me about the peanut butter you gave me. He said the key to success is to have it stored upside down. All oh, right. Yeah. So then it, you never have the problem with the oil. Right. So there you go. Well, I noticed you, I just went and got a glass of water then between uh, between interviews yeah. and I uh, noticed you're almost out. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, I didn't do Murray's trick. Right. So it's a little bit dry at the bottom, but uh, I'll finish it. Don't worry about that. But if you want to stay uh, well... Proteined up. Proteined up <laughs> after your training sessions, uh, the X-Endurance Protein Chocolate Flavour tastes delicious uh, post-training recovery refuel with 1500 milligrams of lactate which is natural fuel helps support new lean muscle growth 100% US recommended daily serving for vitamin B or vitamin B6 B12 and D your branch chain amino acids 18 amino acids gluten free and uh, check it out at xendurance.com and use the promo code I am 20 for a discount I'm talk 20 even I'm talk 20. There we mm. go. Check, check, check it out. You're yeah, 20% off. It's, it's a no-brainer, John. We had a discussion last week. Mick Simpson sent it through. He's got um, about the type of athlete you admire. So the question is, which athlete do you have more respect for? One who comes overcomes massive life battles like drugs or alcohol, or one who's achieved this success without making massive mistakes along the way? And we've got a few good kind of points around this Daniel one. Clark who's going to be famous in the show it's a Daniel Clark show because he had an awesome yeah. website of the week that he developed himself no reason for this to be an either or there are lots of athletes I admire um, talking triathletes everyone knows this would be like Lionel Sanders versus Javier Gomez Lionel Sanders past is well documented and the hole he's climbed out of and he's what he's overcome is incredible in fact he is the third fastest Ironman of all time oh, but, just because, but just because Javier Gomez doesn't have uh, a riddle pass so far as I know, doesn't mean his journey is any less. And no doubt he was tempted along the way, but has managed to stay on the course. Chrissy McKinley. I saw Chrissy McKinley. The grinder. Should have been at the pool this morning and wasn't at the pool Where this morning. Where were you, Chrissy? Nor was Ian Wood. What? Two Scottish people that you'd think can handle a little bit of marginally cold water and they're soft cocking it in bed. Well... No, we don't start rumors. rumors. They are friends, but they're not friends with benefits. <laughs> no, 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 well, let's not even go there. I saw both of those guys this week. Yeah. I saw Ian on the bike. Yeah. Yep, looking good on the bike. And Kristen McKinley was running past my house, gave her the wave, ignored me. Snobbed, yeah. Snobbed me. Mm. Anyway, uh, and, and when, because when, Joe and I were driving, and I, realized, I remembered her nickname, 
The grind is gold. <laughs> anyway, uh, who are we to judge a person's past? Respect people as athletes for their clean performances and their conduct off the pitch. Regardless of what has come before, no one is perfect with a mistake-free past, whether it was drugs or not. Joseph Mulhall, it's important not to idolise people. Being good at sport doesn't mean you're a good person, but respect them for what they have achieved. In that respect, I won't judge them or how they got to where they are or where they go to from here. Just that they put in a massive amount of effort in their lives and achieved their ambitions through enough for my respect. Denny Boyle's got, um, I very much doubt that there's a single athlete there that hasn't had made a mistake. Everyone has crossed to the beer for some reason. Some might be drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, or other might be family, friends, or other things along social lines. Everyone has their own battles and for their own demons to overcome. Mick Simpson, give, he said, thought I would chime in because I came up with a question. Yep. I've, uh, I asked after reading a couple of threads of different forums having a go at certain members of the Ironman community because of past indiscretions, some quite seriously. I got really angry at this. While I don't revere any Ironman, I stopped worshipping sports stars after a certain Spanish footballer broke my heart. I certainly don't hold mistakes against people when they have moved on. If we don't move pa- move past, it's what's the point of Rehabilitation Act. But that's the kind of whole Lance thing, isn't it? When do we let him, when, you know? Kylie Cox, got a Kylie, Coach Kylie. Yeah. Uh, everyone has a lesson to teach, and I'm sure goals that they've overcome relative to them. I love the athlete at the top of the game who just continues to do the hard work to stay in the head of the pack. Much easier to try to reach the top than stay there. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but the post of the week uh, goes to Frank Houdini McVeigh. He's just got John Newsom. What does that mean? <laughs> That's who he looks up to. Uh-oh. And then Chrissy McKinlay is getting herself further in trouble because she said, "What are you saying?" And said, "Frank said, Christine, every week John Newsom has to put up with Bevan." LOL. Yeah, but Christine, the grinder, yeah. is grinding it out for me. She's got all vice versa. Chrissy, there could yeah. be punishments for that. There could be retribution for being trying to be a little smarty pants there. Oh, so Chrissy, you just don't know how hard it is. <laughs> Chrissy might see all of a sudden see some program turn up, which has got you know, two hundred meters continuous butterfly times she, three. She loves it. She wants to smash it. I, I, I believe in you, Christine. Bevan, who do you who do you look up to in the Ironman world, or do you not discriminate I don't know against? If, it's like, if we kind of just battle, look at the question of who do we admire. I just love people who overcome adversity, and it's mm. it's, it's not necessarily. Because that can be the athlete who just continues to perform. I am someone who, like a lot of people have kind of said, I don't necessarily respect, you know, I don't look up to athletes. What I will look up to is the type of athlete. So I'm, I'm like that as well, because I think all humans are kind of flawed. And so, you know, we all have our flaws. And so to respect one person for all aspects of themselves, like I read Michael Jordan's book, in some ways yeah. you kind of go, well, it's not the kind of guy I want to hang around with. Yeah. But God, I respect him as an athlete. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's often the case with some of these real top athletes, like the best in the world often aren't the easiest people to be around. There's plenty of good examples of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then again, there's vice versa. There's plenty of examples mm. of athletes who seem to be just great people and great athletes. But for me, I admire the aspect of the where I, I watch this person grow. Mm. So if I watch someone who's like, like a Fredino, you can't help but watch his career. Or Brownlee, like I just love watching Harry races. You know, mm. it's just, well, Alistair Brownlee in particular, he just puts it all on the line. And he could race safe and still win races, but he doesn't. And I really respect that. I don't really know the guy. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, when we had that guy who had that on the interview, that guy had done been in jail and... Mm-hmm. John, John McAvoy? Oh my God. Like, how can you not respect that guy? Mm. You know, and so, you know, like it's... You know, 
I'm, I'm not the kind of person who looks for other people for inspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm unless you're looking across the table. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's that's the only reason I do the show, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, but but there are some, you know, other people do inspire me in some of their behaviour. So I wouldn't say that I'm one or the other. I just say when I hear stories of people overcoming something big to them, that, that does make me question and, and kind of think about myself. So mm. yeah, so I, I th- one of the things that. I felt really, well, I didn't feel good about it, but I thought it was awesome last week. I was just reading the newspaper and there's this girl on there. She was only 18 or something like that and had a picture of her four years earlier and she'd lost like 50 kilograms and, mm. and she, was, she was only a young girl. And that, that sort of stuff probably inspires me more than um, watching triathletes race around. But I guess in a triathlon sense, um, I love seeing the people that have got to the top um, who haven't been so much involved in a, a national program as such. You know, someone like a Rachel Joyce who's, you know, got to the very, very top and hasn't had that support of a federation all the way around. That's not taking away from any of the others, like, you know, again, Brownlees, Fredinos and all those guys. I think they're amazing. I love what they do, but I find it a little bit more interesting to see the people that haven't followed the traditional pathway and have uh, managed to find a way to get to the top. For me, when I think about sporting, I admire the person who maybe does the thing that I would fear myself. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, like I think of, like, a Brendan McCallum, who is New Zealand cricket captain, and I've just finished reading his book, which I really enjoyed, and... He was a kind of guy who was like, we're here to enjoy the game and a part of enjoying the game is taking a risk. Mm-hmm. And in life, sometimes I, I, I've, I've been successful by having a kind of a conservative approach and sometimes I haven't taken risks. And mm-hmm. now we don't want to be stupid, but, you know, I mm-hmm. admire the athlete who is willing to kind of lose it all. What was there was a race? I can't remember last year. There was one race in particular where someone was like, they, they took the massive risk and if they won, they were going to get it all. But mm-hmm. if they lost, they lost everything. Mm-hmm. And... They took the risk, and I think they won. And, and mm. but to me, just that. Um, oh no! It was in the it was in the Olympics in the sailing, and mm. it was one of the New Zealand guys got got a bronze, I think it was. But there was a yeah. guy who, at the beginning of the race, basically stuffed up and was at the back of the field. Yeah, it was an Australian guy. It was probably the most impressive oh, performance right. I saw I in, the, I in the Olympics. So basically, at the back of the field. Now he could have got to like up to third place and got silver, or. He or no, if he got if he didn't win it, he lost basically. He didn't get mm. anything, and he just risked everything to get mm. this gold medal. And it was just like I just really respected that. So for me, that's what I kind of like about it. So mm. Mm. anyway, this week's one is gold. Well, I, I'm not really having a stag stew, but John, John, what should I do <laughs> for my stag stew? Given you can't be stupid because Bevan doesn't drink, so you can't yeah, go drink uh, drink 32 cans of beer in a row. But uh, what see, I am see doing? If you can come up with some other the night before. Challenges. We're going to have some gameplay. So yeah. I might be going down to the park and play some touch or something mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. and then play some football. <laughs> <laughs> boys, we boys. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So that's we're looking to. We are going to do something, but it ain't going to be me. But we can add something in there. Okay. So if, I've, if, I've if, got some influence there. I know that we're going to, Jeff's organising, is he? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep, so I need to, I need to, he said, give me a name, list of people, I'll do that next week, so, yeah. but yep, so the Friday night, leave some time aside, mm-hmm. and then, uh, <laughs> yep, and then we'll be doing something on the Friday night, so what should Bevan do, for what should I do for my stags too? <sighs> sure, Houdini, Houdini seems like a real fan of me, so I'm sure he'll be no, really kind to me. the other thing was, so I thought Frank Houdini, he, that's a good post, I like it, yep. and somehow it's something he put up, came up on uh, my timeline on Facebook, and then he had a friend who was called... What was it? He had the best name ever. Best name ever. I wonder if I saved it anywhere. Don't think I did. His name. Oh, there we go. Hold on. His oh. mate's name was. 
I should. Be, I can remember this. I just got to get the order around the right way. John Bevan. Oh, look at that! <laughs> yeah, his friend said John. What Bevan. are the chances of someone having that name? It's spelt incorrectly according to your name, though. He's got John right, but then it's B E V E N. Yeah. Gold, righty ho. Let's move on. Okay. Um, next, uh, let's put some music on. We didn't actually need to put music on because <laughs> we're going to age group of the week, but we've got heaps of content anyway. So first of all, we're going to the first interview of today's show, and we've got Maura Ho- Ho- Moira Horan. Horan. Maura Horan. And she is all about getting girls into sports. So here she is. Okay, guys. Um, the Women for Triathlon movement has been, with Ironman, has been going for a little while, but to be honest, we haven't heard huge news out of it. We, the 50 Women for Kona, they've been uh, social mediaing like crazy over the last couple of years, and you've heard a lot about that. Um, but we wanted to get to the bottom of what um, Ironman and the, the girls on the, the board there are trying to achieve. So we've got Moira Horan, who is an athlete herself. She's a coach, and she's also on the Women for Tri board of advisors. So uh, welcome along to the show, Moira. Thank you, thank you. Can you give us a bit of background about yourself? Because um, I got onto you from Dave Dwan, met you over in uh, Kona, and he said you'd be great to have on the show. So maybe just give us a bit of intro um, about yourself, where you're from, what you sort of do with yourself, and um, and how you sort of got involved in all this uh, business. Sure, sure. Um, well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. I lived there for a good part of my life. Now I live in New Jersey. Got involved in triathlons in the early to mid 90s when I uh, started running when I quit smoking (laughs) Uh, and you know just sort of from a triathlon perspective I got involved in sprints and moved along up in distance over the years Uh, my husband and I were fortunately able to retire a few years ago and I got involved with a local triathlon club here helped to found a uh, an all-women's sprint triathlon in the area that was geared towards beginner women in the sport that was back in uh well we got the concept for the race in 2009 the first year the race was launched was in 2010 Mm -hmm. uh it was uh it still is a very big success in this area it's called the jersey girl triathlon after a couple of years though i realized race directing wasn't necessarily where i felt my strengths or my passion were and I formed an all women's triathlon club yeah. in the area. So I still have that going right now. I coach, I still race myself. And uh, back in 2015, well, 2014, Ironman put out a press release about forming uh, a board of women to work with them on advising them in ways to bring more women into the sport of triathlon. Few people sent me links and said, "Oh, you know, this is like what you're doing now. You should get involved. You should apply." And I did, and uh, became a member of the board the first year. That was back in uh, the beginning of 2015. How, how did they go about sort of selecting the rest of the board? Was it you guys all submitting your resumes and uh, and, and and how many people are on the board and what sort of the, the cross section of people you've got there? Okay. Uh, well, there's 12 women on the board. Um, from the very first year, we've got uh, one, two, three, four. We've had four women sort of transition off the board over the first two years and four new women come in to the board. Um, we filled out an application online just sort of asking us 
what our background was in triathlon, uh, what our interest was, why we were involved in the sport, why we wanted to get involved introducing more women into the sport. Ironman and Lifetime Fitness is also uh, involved in this initiative. They reviewed the applications, um, you know, narrowed it down to, I don't know, they had several hundred applications, nice. narrowed it down and um, scheduled some sort of telephone interviews with, you know, again, I don't know how many of, of uh, us they interviewed by phone, but they selected 12 women on the original board and we met for the first time in February of uh, 2015. Mm. Well, it's just a... With, with the board, is it all American-based? And if it is only American-based, is there kind of a, an incentive to change it going forward? Well, um, that's interesting because, uh, yes. And one of the things that we have on our agenda or on our plan for this year is to expand our club grant program internationally. Mm, nice, nice. Uh, and we do have, um, well, Rachel Joyce came on the board last year. She's still on the board with us. Um, she's our, um, I guess you could say our, our international person, mm-hmm. um, although she is living here in the States. And there's a couple of other women on the board that have extensive uh, experience working in, in international, in particular um, Kelly Lang, mm-hmm. who does quite a bit of, of uh, work and business in Australia and uh, other countries around Europe. But yeah, so we are looking to expand internationally this year. This past year, we did have a, um, an ambassador, a Women for Try ambassador in Australia, in particular working with um, Ironman Western Australia. There was a big push to increase women's participation there. We have an ambassador in South Africa, working uh she's actually sort of started a group of of women that she's encouraged to register for um the upcoming Mm 70.3 in south africa and uh, we're we're working with her so uh so so so, yeah when you start these things obviously you know the first year or two is is really just trying to lay the foundations and and we know sometimes these things you don't see a lot of progress early on because you're just trying to figure out what what sort of direction you're going in so you know you're a couple of years into this now what are your sort of you know, obviously your, your main objective is to try to increase women in in the sport but but you know what are you how are you trying to actually do that and and what are your sort of objectives well we've our focus has been very much on a grassroots level of bringing more women into the sport, identifying what the barriers are that keep women for, from participating. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the numbers. You know, in half marathons and running races, women's participation has increased mm. lately. Uh, the numbers have not matched in, tri- in triathlon. You know, women's participation has not increased as much. I think actually more women run half marathons now than men. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the the biggest programs that we've we've done is uh, launching a a grant program for triathlon clubs around the around the country. And as I said, the next the next round will be launched globally. We've asked triathlon clubs. You know, we have a fairly simple application process, and asked them to tell us what programs they think they would like to run that could help bring more women into the sport and how can we help them do that financially? Uh, 
you know, a, a lot of this sport, it, it does cost money. It's not quite as maybe inexpensive as running where you just, you know, put on a pair of running shoes and run out the door. There's swimming's involved, equipment's involved. So, uh, we've, we've helped quite a few triathlon clubs. We've, we've given away, got over a hundred thousand dollars already to clubs around the country who have successfully run all kinds of different programs. We've worked with, uh, running coaches, swim coaches, you know, sort of intro to triathlon one-on-one programs that have introduced more women to the race. So that's, you know, that's sort of one of our most successful programs and it's, it's still growing. What's been the most, what's, yeah, that was going to be my next sort of question. You know, when you look at the grants that you've given and what, because I know there'll be a lot of clubs around the world, you know, listening to this and they'll be going, you know, what the hell do we do to try to increase women's participation? So what have you seen that's been the most successful so far in terms of actually increasing those numbers? You know, I, I feel that, and this is, you know, I guess I probably feel this way because this is what I was doing myself and how I founded my club is sort of, you know, just taking women and running a real nuts and bolts program focused on an upcoming race and helping them identify the tools and the skills that they need to get to that race. Running some swim clinics, whether it be first in a pool or if you have more experienced swimmers, run open water swim clinics with them. You know, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but you need access to a pool, you need lifeguards, you need some safety equipment. Uh, teaching them about transitions and, and bike skills. Bike skills, I think, is a huge um, thing. People are women, maybe more so than men. A lot of them are just, you know, they're afraid. They don't. They don't feel comfortable riding bikes on the road. Uh, so I've seen a lot of success with those kind of programs, you know, where a club launches a, you know, 12, 12 weeks to, um, you know, the uh, IRL Maryland yeah. program and, and just literally helps them get from point A to, uh, to the finish line. Nice. What are the plans for 2017 then? So you kind of started the initiative, started to you know fund some clubs. What's the evolution of this moving forward? Well, um, you know, we're we're really we also have an ambassador program, which you know I mentioned in connection with uh, Western Australia and uh, in South Africa. But we have an, an ambassador program across the United States, where we've um, we've had women apply to us who wanted to be felt they could be ambassadors. They could continue to carry the message on a more regional basis. You know, there's only so much that 12 women who have other careers and businesses and families can, can do. So, so we're trying to bring in ambassadors who can work more in their local and regional communities to carry our message and bring more women into the sport. That's something that we're, we're really trying to expand in the United States and, as I said, across the uh, on an international level. We want the the grant and the scholarship program because we've also done some scholarships for women who are participating in triathlon as a collegiate sport. So we we want to expand those those grants and scholarship programs which means we need to bring in more more funds. We're looking to build our website and our social media presence more just so that more people, you know, like you guys said, you're not that familiar with it. You don't think mm. many people are. So we want to get the word out about what it is that we are about and what we're trying to do and, 
hopefully find more people who want to work with us and help us. One of the things that obviously got a lot of media coverage and a lot of social media coverage was the, the 50 woman to Kona, and it's been stated by Andrew Messick that's not a priority for, for him or the organisation. Is that something you guys have discussed and it's just um, not on your, you know, not a, not a priority for you, sort of focusing more on the grassroots level things? Uh, it has been discussed. And, yeah, what what you've said is sort of as a as a board is where we're at our focus and where we feel we can make the most progress is on a more grassroots level the women all of us on the board everybody has different feelings and uh you know uh involvement with the 50 women to Kona movement and it's you know, they've, they've got, like you said, they've got a very strong media presence, social media presence. They've got some very strong women involved in that initiative. And it's it's not what Women for Try is about. We're not for it. We're not against it. It's it's not our initiative. Mm. So we're definitely more of a grassroots level. If we bring more women into the sport, we hope to see the numbers grow from the ground up as more people participate more hopefully will become professionals that will put more women out there. We do have more women. We did get involved with, you know, advising Ironman on how to bring more women into the 70.3 championship race. Mm -hmm. And there's, there will be more age group women and those spots will be benefiting women for try the, uh, the net proceeds from, from those additional 200 spots and although we weren't directly involved in it, there will be equal number of women professionals on the start line at the 70.3 World Championship. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I guess rounding it off, I mean, anything we haven't covered that you sort of want to get out there in terms of um, how people can get involved, um, what they need to look out for, or anything else we haven't sort of covered that you want to get out there? Uh, well, I'm going to assume that most people listening to triathlon and Ironman specific podcasts are more experienced in the sport. And, you know, me personally, I have found a huge amount of satisfaction and it's really kept alive my love for the sport by being able to bring more people into the sport, not just women, but women and men. And just, you know, each one of us can, can do something to, keep the sport alive, to keep the sport growing by, you know, looking maybe at that person next to us. So that next door neighbor that always says, oh, you know, gosh, you're, you're so dedicated. You're fo so focused. I could never do what you do. I see you running and I see you riding your bike. I'm like, well, why couldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you find somebody like that who actually says, oh, gee, well, maybe I could. And the next thing you know, they're out there. It's, it's hugely satisfying. And, uh, you know, each one of us, I think, can do just that little bit to, you know, bring bring somebody else in and help someone else out. And I just find it comes back, you know, it comes back to me 10 times over. And I think it's really something that each one of us could think about and see what what can we do to help this initiative. I mean, we're not we're not out there to make we're not a for profit association. We're not a for profit board. We're literally just trying to grow the sport. And I think that's to everybody's benefit. And it was what we were told in our first, very first meetings with Ironman. 
was that if the sport grows, each one of us is going to benefit, not mm-hmm. just Ironman, but our local coaches, our local running store, our bike manufacturers, uh, everybody. Mm. Absolutely. I think it's great. Absolutely great. You know, as, as you said, if we, everybody can just uh, maybe help, have a goal of helping one person into the sport this year, every, as you said, everybody's going to benefit. There'll be more races. There'll be, you know, greater participation with that, hopefully, you know, low in, lower entry fees and, uh, and just a thriving sport. So what about yourself? What are, you, what are your racing plans for this year? Ooh, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I, I had my race plans kind of on hold last year um you know our daughter got married so i i put my focus on that actually a lot for the last two years um i do have boston coming up in april nice and uh i've been racing there well participating the last couple of years and and each time i i run my goal is just to run fast enough to qualify again for next year so uh that's that's sort of my first focus and i'm hoping to do a spring 70.3, looking at maybe uh, Eagle Man, which is not far from, from where I live. And then Lake Placid. Nice. Where, you know, I, 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 I hate to say it, but, you know, I, I'd love to be able to qualify for Kona again in Lake Placid. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, see what happens from there. And now, have you trademarked? You've got a, your own trademark. Try it. You'll like it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You've actually gone out and trademarked something. <laughs> um, I used to work when I was still working. I worked for a law firm, and uh, I also had a couple of women in my triathlon club when they when I first started. And you know, I didn't I didn't have a club. It wasn't like I set out to do any of this. I had a group of women that when we launched this all women's triathlon, I said, well, if we're going to do this, let's offer these women a plan you know, to, to, to do it. And we started, I started training with them once a week, you know, going on group rides and runs and swims, etc. And after the race, it, they wanted to keep training. So we did that for about a year. And then I said, you know, somebody said to me, gee, Maury, you know, you should sort of make this official, make it a club, uh, trademark your coaching name, your, your little slogan. So it all sort of came as a second thought. I guess not. Not so much a first thought. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a plan. It just sort of happened. Fantastic. So. You know, some great work. So, guys, if you want to check out what Maura is up to, uh, look at StayStrongMultiSport.com, and uh, obviously follow the um, Women for Tri Board of Advisors um, through Ironman. And we look forward to seeing uh, you know just loads more people participating. And thanks so much for your contribution to the sport. Thank you guys so much, and thanks for helping share uh, Women for Tri's mission. And we are back. John, your thoughts? That was great. You know, I think uh, she made some really good points. It's nice to know the direction they're trying to head in rather than just uh, speculating. And uh, and I, I liked the little, you know, was what's made the biggest difference so far. And it's those little sort of 10 to 12-week programs, a bit like what you do with your, yeah, your race teams and yeah. stuff. And uh, clubs, you know, if you're listening to this around the world, try to get involved. And for, for, for new and up-and-coming coaches as well, I think it's a really good opportunity. You know, if you're teaching complete newbies, your knowledge is going to be infinitely more than what they know, even if you don't think you know that much. So I think it's a great opportunity for clubs to try to get some women involved in the sport and, and there's some money there to help you um, yeah, find your way as well. So Moira also mentioned they've got womenfortry.com as their website. They've also got a Facebook page with over 24,000 followers on there. So if you do want to stay um, up to speed with it, check it out. Good times. Yeah, I, I am a big believer in creating 
beginner level products you know mm. obviously that's what my business is but at the same time I think in triathlons there's probably a really big need for that and, and you can charge a pretty the good thing about when you do group training you can charge a really fair price point mm. you know for our product we charge 280 New Zealand for, for an eight week product with three sessions a week mm. you know so it's working out about 10 bucks a session which is mm. really fairly priced mm. and you know when you look at team training at a gym you're normally paying up to 20 to 40 dollars a session so you know we, we charge ourselves really fairly but you can have a really big impact which is good revenue for your club but also you know you can actually create a product that is that 101 mm. basic level you know where they can be successful along the way and to have a race at the end is a really cool way of doing it mm. so definitely I, I would encourage something like that okay John we've got another interview up Ooh. and we've got Rich, Rich Izzo Izzo this that's is a great good name isn't it yeah talking about Tough Man which is races across America and I thought well I know that a lot of our listeners aren't American based but I was really keen to hear what the sort of state of the sport is and how they're doing over there and again maybe some European athletes can kind of see and understand how things are evolving a little bit there and yeah it's good stuff yeah it's rich and we are on righto guys so we've got um, Rich Izzo here from the Tough Man races which are 17 events I think I could be corrected across um, America and South America and I've got to be honest it's a series that I haven't heard about but we love supporting races that um, not, are not just Ironman because they get all the all the coverage obviously we want to make sure there's some um, you know, grassroots races and also other series get plenty of attention so Rich welcome along to the show Guys, thank you so much for having me, and I uh, really appreciate the ability to get the word out about our series. Tell us, you know, um, what Tough Man's all about. It's, uh, I've been onto your website, and you, you emailed me, and, and I can see you've got a lot of races. You've been going for a few years now, so maybe just tell us who started the races, where you started, and, and what sort of the, um, what the process has been over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I'm a racer uh, for the last 30 years, and I'm sort of semi-retired at this point, but that's what got me into organizing. And about 11 years ago, we um, we decided we wanted to put something on here in New York that would be different than anything that's been done before, not an Olympic, not a sprint. Um, so this way, anybody that wanted to do a local tri-state, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island, half iron race, would have access to it instead of having to drive six hours north, six hours south or five or six hours, you know, west. Um, and, you know, we started in um, in 19, or actually 2008, and uh, that first year was a late start. And, uh, you know, I had organized a few other events in the past, um, and uh, we had about 150 racers that year. I think it was most of the people that came just came because they knew me, and uh, they were trying to support what we were doing. Um, and then the following year, it grew to 450, and then it grew to 750, and then I think our top year was 2012. We had over over 950. Nice. Um, and, and in the process, we added a kids race, and um, the kids race now actually gets more 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 kids than than the adult race. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Very very interesting. Um, you know the the genesis of the series started with really the kids the kids race because we were getting questions every other every other kids race. Well, when can you do this again? Our kids loved it, so we decided, since I owned the the name Tough Kids, um, that we would ask several of the largest kids triathlons in the area that had been going on for years to join us under our banner to form a series for kids with a championship model. And that has grown by leaps and bounds, and that's been successful for about nine years. And that got us to doing the same thing for the adult race uh, starting in 2013. Fantastic. So, so in 2013, you only had the one race, or you know, you now have 17 races. So, did it, how how quickly yes. has it expanded, and kind of what's been the projection to where you are right now? Uh, first of all, going you know going forward, you know, which I'll ask answer first. 
I can't project where we're going to be because I didn't really, I would never have thought we'd be where we're at right now. I didn't really have a game plan. The love of the sport is really what brings me to doing this podcast, doing our race every single year and trying to, in the United States and now North and South America, trying to keep independent triathlon from falling off into the abyss Mm -hmm. because that's kind of what we've seen in the last five years and 2012, 13, we start to see a change in the environment instead of growth, it was flattening and then from flattening decline. And I have my own, you know, my own, um, understanding of it where I think things are going, where, why we're here. But the advantage that we've had is that we had a game plan. At least we saw what was going on. And because of that, um, you know, in the sheer love of the sport, I reached out to several race directors and said, look, you know, we've got this brand and, you know, I think we know what we're doing pretty well. We've got a game plan. We have a logistics plan. We have a great team. Uh, what we'd like to do is we'd like to bring you guys together and not necessarily form a championship model because it's really hard to have a championship when you only have two races. Mm-hmm. Um, but to bring it under the banner of Tough Man and we can work together um, getting sponsors. We can work together um, you know, uh, working on line item stuff. You know, you, There's more that you can get in bulk cheaper um and um so that it started like that and the next thing you know we were from two races we became six races from six races we became nine races from nine races we became 11 races and then this next year which is our fifth year of doing the series we're 17 and i really don't know where it's going to end up only because initially the hardest race to get on board was the first one uh only you know because how do you explain to somebody well you know you you have to do things our way, you know, mm. you have to have our name. And so I've learned along the way what, you know, what's appropriate and, um, you know, how we get great race directors to join us um, to determine what a great race director is. I mean, we have what we do, but um, now we have a checklists and um, ways of determining that prior to getting them on board. So it's been, it's been an ex- incredibly exciting experience. Um, again, you know, I would never have planned this so when people ask me and i've done a couple of these uh, interviews and they say well where are you going to be you know you're going to be here here i couldn't tell you actually <laughs> because we're getting email we're, we're getting emails from all over the place in fact i spoke with somebody from new zealand a couple of weeks back and we might do something with them so that's why this is really appropriate and i hope you know we'll send the link afterwards and mm. um because i think you guys again i appreciate the ability to get on here because I mean, I looked your guys' website up and I knew who you were, John, mm. from before because I know uh, Gordo Byrne. Oh, yeah, you know Gordo? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done one of his ECPA camps in 2009, I believe. And uh, yeah. so your name, everybody knows everybody in a way. Uh, Paul yeah. Huddle was part of our thing between um, the Ironman North America and going back to Ironman. Um, you know, now we've got a few things we'll talk about, like our Lava Magazine, a media partnership, our Trisutto with Brett Sutton exclusive partnership with them we've got a really a lot of things that have just fallen into place which i again i had no plan um they just happened organically and it's like serendipity so i'm we're ecstatic right now but with with the expansion that obviously must bring challenges because we know that you know like the challenge you know they were very strong with a few races and then they started expanding and now they've started retracting and, and have sort of pulled out of america um Mm-hmm. It, it must be hard, though, as you're expanding to keep the standards that you want. Or, or and what sort of what's your what's your model in terms of are you franchising? Are you running it all through one central office? Is is one to race director you know just doing their own thing and they've just got to follow some procedures? How does it sort of how does it expand? 
Well, you know, I never like to compare us to other brands um, because using Iron Man is the gold standard. And I always, again, I always say this in all these interviews, but I am an Iron Man lover. Mm. Um, I'm a consumer of them. I've raced their races. I've raced Kona. Not that I was a super fast racer. I was always sort of a, you know, upper end age grouper. So really what we are is a different niche. And I look for races that are different than Ironman, not the same as Ironman, because I believe that you've got the tier one races like an Ironman brand, and there's the second tier, which is us. Mm -hmm. And I don't say second tier in a derogatory way, but I believe that there has to be like Coke and Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the trouble that other people have gotten into, and again, I've, I've studied the sport throughout the last 12 years, whether it be brands in the United States that, you know, we've seen come and are now retracting or other brands in the world. And I think the biggest mistake was, and the biggest mistake is to compete against somebody um, on their on their playing field. We don't do that. We're not competitive with Ironman. What we're trying to do is, is preserve, maintain, increase the standardization process of an independent grassroots triathlon, but maintain the grassroots feel. And um, in doing that, it gives uh, racers the ability to race both events, both an Ironman event and one of our events. Uh, and we're not looking to get 2,500 racers. We don't mm-hmm. need to get 2,500 racers. In a way, it goes back to the old school where it was, you know, races were 500, which is most of our races are four or 500 racers. Um, we have a kids race at a lot of our races. Um, so it's a family event. Uh, we've got beer at almost all of our races, barbecue. <laughs> I know it says like sounds ridiculous, but as a racer, when I raced, I always loved the fact that you could get a beer afterwards and you could get a, you know, barbecue chicken or something not generic stuff and you know Ironman does a lot of really great things and i'm not here to say anything negative against them but through their success is the uh, some of those things that are generic and they have to be generic because that's you know that's their model mm. um you know is to be mcdonald's and that's great and it's a successful thing but our success is based on the individuality of all those races mm. however the standardization and the logistics and the branding and marketing, which is what really we are in, we're in charge of the branding and marketing of, of all of these individual races. Mm. You know, it seems that Ironman are often buying out the competition in this last period of time. Do, do you see something that you, you would resist to that? Like, um, if they were to come with you with a big paycheck, you know, like it's a hard thing to resist, isn't know, it? I'll say it this way. I don't make my living from tough men. I'm a doctor. That's what I, I've been a doctor for 30 years. I make my money as a sports doctor. I, got, I stumbled into the race business. And really, this has never been a business until the last couple of years when it's just kind of evolved into that. Um, and my living is made from being my full-time job. You know, mm. doing what we do with our race series, is just, it's a passion. So what we look for in a race director is it's a passion, not necessarily a job that they make a living on. Now, of course, they we want them to make money, and it's important that they make money. And again, that's the differentiation between our, I think, our brand, that our race directors are, are successful in their own right. And we bring them in, and we hopefully we enhance that through uh, you know, getting the name of their race out there to get more people to come to their race. But, um, you know, even if it's just the uh, recognition of the brand itself um, and helping them to get sponsors, helping them to buy line items through bulk orders, um, and now our association with Lava Magazine and Trisoto, getting clinics at each of these races and having maybe some pros come, which, again, we're not a pro series, 
But it's always nice to, you know, see a pro come and Triceto's got the top pros in the entire world practically. So um, having those two associations now really kind of put us to a whole other level that, again, I never would have anticipated this, but um, we're incredibly excited about what's going on in 2017 and, uh, you know, and in the future. And when you, you mentioned about the championship race there, um, are you looking at doing a pro championship race or is this an age group championship race or is it more for the kids to try to have a kids championship race? Where are you sort of heading that for, in, for that? Um, I'll answer this way. All, all three. Yeah. Um, the kids championship race is each, each kid's race gets a qualifying slots. I think it's 80 qualifying slots. And those qualifiers are sent an invitation after the race, which again, it's always great to get an invitation that you've been invited to the championship and it's, you know, done in a standardized fashion for all of our races. Uh, all the kids races are qualifiers for the championship and the championship race. We've got an elite wave and then we've got the age group or open wave because we don't want to discount and push away beginners. And we have a lot of beginners do our kids races. In fact, uh, we're the only uh, kid series that has a four to six division in the United States. So we have kids that are that practically, you know, they don't, some of them have never ridden a bike before. So we have their parents do the race with them. Mm. And uh, that's to introduce them to the sport. And it's, again, incredibly exciting to see these kids out there racing and then their parents race the next day. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it brings back a whole other level of enjoyment to the sport, which you know, we do have those elite racers too, and you know, we want to give them a great race. But I'm really about the beginners, and I'm about the age groupers. Now, with the adult race for tough man, every uh, tough man race gets us a, a number of qualifying slots. I think it's about 100 or 110. They get an invitation the week afterwards, and then they get invited to an elite wave, where they can race in that wave for cash purse, or they can race as an age grouper for. Uh, over $30,000 worth of awards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're very lucky to be sponsored by a lot of great brands and and, and we've been sponsored by them for 11 years. You know, mostly because one of the guys that has raced and somebody that I know pretty well used to own Zoot and Marmot and he was very very supportive of us. That's Martin Franklin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin's a racer, been to Hawaii a number of times, but we've been very very blessed and lucky through personal contacts. I mean, people will ask, "Well, how do you get these sponsors?" They're all personal connections. It's mm. we're very very blessed to be able to do that. And then you know if you you get to that elite wave and you want to race as an elite, well then you can race for the cash. But it really is any age grouper that qualifies at another event, a pro can come, but they still have to come from another event. Um, so pros can race against age groupers. Age groupers can race against age groupers for the cash purse. And we you know we, in in the United States you have to keep it below a certain amount. I think it's five thousand dollars in order for it to, to be open to the age groupers. And right. because because I'm an age grouper, I really would like to see the age groupers be able to compete for cash. It yeah. really is exciting to see that. Just yeah. like, um, a thought I have, or well, a question I have for you is, you know, you, you kind of said how the sport and grassroots has kind of been fading a little bit. Just your thoughts on why that's happened? Well, I mean, I, can, I can't say rest, the rest of the world, although I'm starting to get my sense just by talking to some of the race directors in other parts of the world. But in the United States, you know, we went through a very bad financial downturn. And um, from 2008 on, even though we didn't see it, um, the triathlon is a very economically dependent sport, unlike running, unlike other things like mud runs or obstacle course races. And the advantage of being in the sport for 30 years, 
I've seen this happen at least two other times where we've gotten either a flat spot or a decline based on an economic downturn. And in that period of time, running tends to boom. So you saw in the last, you know, um, six or seven years, you saw rock and roll marathon explode. Most marathons, half marathons are exploding in the numbers of racers. And in my opinion, that's because hey, it's easy to buy a pair of sneakers, pay thirty five or forty dollars, go out there and run. Most people want to be active and it's you know, it's not a one off. It's a lifestyle. And that's really what triathlon is more than a mud runs or obstacle course races. The other thing is that the expansion of WTC and Ironman Really, um, to their credit, you know, they expanded um, and because they were owned by a PE group, um, their focus was to sell eventually. So, you know, in looking at it that way, you know, you want to be as big as possible to be able to get the most money. But now we're living with the fallout um, of being basically an oversaturated market, both, you know, in, in, in the United States, probably other areas in the world also. I can't comment on New Zealand or Australia because I don't know that market too well. But I know that in the U.S. and Canada, the you know the independents couldn't keep up with the ability to. If um, if Ironman was 17 hours away, it's one thing. But if there's an Ironman every two and a half hours from every metro area, and if you look at the map, that's it's pretty apparent that that's they're looking at the map like we are. Mm. Um, the the reality is that you know. Um, when people are short on money, they want the greatest experience that they can get, and they associate that with the Ironman, which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of our allure is that we're a New York event, so you know um, we've been able to be here and maintain a very solid event for 11 years. And um, you know, now with our championship model, um, you know, we we will see where that goes. But uh, you know, again, I don't do it for a living, so you know, um, it's not like I I'm looking to lose money, mm-hmm. but I don't have to make money, and um, that's the advantage that we have. We travel light, um, and I think that in the next two or three years, which is probably the next question you're, you're going to ask me, where is it going? Mm. I think we're going to see a massive. I mean, we're seeing the massive consolidation already with races like Wildflower and Gulf Coast uh, being eliminated off the schedule. But you know, just from three years ago when there were 274 half Ironmans, including Ironman and all the independents and a few other brands. Uh, this year there were 94 in the U.S. and I, I think we're going to be down to 50 percent of that in two years. Wow! Mm-hmm. And so, I don't think it's a ba- I don't think it's a bad thing though. Mm. But you've got um, tell us a little bit about your South American races because um, look we're, we're from New Zealand we obviously travel quite a fair amount but what what's the accessibility like you know you've got Costa Rica you've got Brazil you've got Puerto Rico you've got Chile um, you've got well, one in Mexico. This- yeah, this is an interesting phenomenon. We never expected to be in any of these places. Um, I met somebody three years ago at a triathlon party who said, um, you know, great racer. He's raced tough man a whole bunch of times. His kids have raced tough kids. So you know something? I'm from Argentina. I love what you guys are doing. You really should think about doing something in Argentina. I said, well, I don't, how do, I don't know anything about Argentina. He said, well, I'm from there, and I'll help you get a connection down there. So for two years, actually a year and a half, he started looking around, and he started reaching out. And I don't know the language, and I don't know the culture. I mean, I've learned, and we're learning, um, but this guy was very instrumental in getting us a race in Chile. Um, I was down in Chile in, in August last year for the for the new Tough Man race there. And in Chile, there's you know Pucan, and then there's everything else. But it's still a pretty open market, and the race director – who's Juan Carlos, Carlos Oliveira, is very well known, puts on a great race, got a whole bunch of other races, and he, he bought into the idea of being part of our brand. And I think he did an incredibly good job last year. And from that one race, 
other race directors saw that and we um, we were able to expand to all those other locations in Mexico, in Costa Rica, in um, Argentina, which is coming up in three weeks. That's a brand new event um, in Brazil. Um, that's just that was the last one we just announced. Um, and in, in Puerto Rico, which, uh, again, this is from a racer. You know, very often what happens is I'll meet somebody at a race. Um, we met somebody in Eastern, you know, from Eastern Europe and it didn't happen. But he said, oh, we should bring this to blah, blah, blah. I'm from there. I love this. Um, I said, okay, fine, you know, run with it. You know, it's, let's, 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 uh, scope it out and let's see what's going on. But what we've learned, you know, over the last six or seven years is that, you know, this kind of a model, you, 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 uh, you're going to expand, but you might have to contract a little bit to expand. So mm. we're still learning, you know, it's, uh, we're not experts, you know, we, we do know what we're doing as far as, uh, most of the stuff. I mean, our, Race directors, we give a lot of value to them, and um, you know we our 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 fees are very small um, because I believe that they're our brand. So if you kill your race directors, how can you grow your brand? Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's all through organic growth. I mean, we really don't we don't market for the race directors. That is, we don't market to them. But you know, as far as our marketing to the athletes, um, we've we've really learned how to do that very very well, and I think that we against anybody out there we stack up um, our marketing ability mm. now you look like you're doing some fantastic things mm, fantastic branding um looks like a cool cool concept so any, anything else you want to get out there about what you're doing well first of all you know to, just to hit the trisotto thing you know brett sutton is one of the foremost coaches out there coached all the top people i think most ironman wins of any coach out there with his athletes and you know they'll be doing clinics at all of our races they're picking and choosing which ones they want to put more emphasis into but there's an arizona clinic coming up that you know you can look at it on their website but um the um their representative in north america is mary beth ellis Mm. who just retired this year Mm. and um, we've spoken many many times on the phone um and i'm really excited about that because again this is one of those things where you know tough man has grown and they saw the value in that. They saw the the potential in that. And you know, in partnering with them, I think that they're going to bring a lot for us—not just exposure, but pros to race at our races. You know, not for the money, but because they want to use our races as prep to for their other races, which I think is a great thing. And um, the Lava Magazine media partnership that just basically was announced four weeks ago, where um, you know, Lava is our new media partner. They're going to cover every race pre and post. Um, the April edition is going to do a print article on the series and, um, you know, TJ Murphy, um, and Heather Gordon are covering us with, uh, with photographers at, at all these events. See, when you're a small event, I think, or when you're a grassroots event, cause I won't say small because most of our events are five or 600. Um, what you lack is media, you know, mm-hmm. Ironman's great with media. They have TV, they've got all this other stuff. And I don't think anybody else out there really competes with them, not just because of everything we've talked about before but it's the media portion of it if people like you guys if you didn't know we exist how do you know that we're uh, a good race to go to in south america or north america or the new york race so having the lava partnership is really going to take us to a whole other level and um you know i think they understand that it's good that there are more than one brand out there mm. to invest in exposing because it's good for them and it's good for the sport and it's good for for ironman too i think um but I want to thank you guys for you know helping to get the word out. Um, hopefully, pretty soon we'll be able to announce something that will be closer to your neck of the woods. Um, but like I said, it's it's 
there is no game plan necessarily, but we there are a tremendous number of opportunities, and they're popping up more now this year, especially since we've been in South America, but not just South America, but everywhere. I mean, it's it's incredibly exciting. I, uh, you know, we we're, we're looking at live streaming the New York event this year again. That in itself has its you know when you have to look at it from uh, cost versus benefit. But I think that we'll be able to do a good job with that in a small capacity hmm. and start off small and then build on that. I mean, we, the one asset that we've got um, that I've, I've learned a long time ago is that, you know, we don't come out of the gate charging. We take one step at a time. We go slowly, but we always go in one direction. Yeah, fantastic. So, guys, if you want to check it out, go to toughmantry.com and, uh, and you'll see all the races I've got there. As I said, South America, across America. So you're doing a great job there, Rich. So keep it up and we, uh, we love to see you know, a good variety of races. And thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Jumbo, your thoughts? Oh, it's really cool what they're doing. And it's it going really to be is. fascinating to see how they expand, you know. Um, well, it seems like it seems like, you know, even this show may help them because obviously probably a few race directors out there listen to him talk. But, you know, like it seems like they've got a model that people can really tap into. Mm. And so it might be the expansion that happens pretty quickly. Yeah. It's just, well, it seems like it has in the last couple of years. Once things start to get really big, though, then, you're, you know, you're always creating that massive extra amount of administration and stuff and yeah, I, just, I love what they're doing. It's great. And and I think that's the future of our sport is to have these all-encompassing events where, you know, you can, can get the kids involved. And, and, and that's also, even if the parents aren't involved in the sport, that's a fantastic little revenue stream. You don't need to charge the kids the earth, but, you know, if you can get an extra 100 kids coming along racing for a small amount of money, um, it often appeals a lot to sponsors as well and uh, and just helps boost your overall event revenue. So, um yeah, I, I think what um, the numbers on the kids are. I didn't, when we were we said it was outnumbering the, the parents a lot of the time. Um, and so I, I looked at one or two of the races, and yeah, you said, you know, four to 500 doing a half. Um, so if you get more kids doing that. It's not hard to get that many kids doing races. You know, my events are very small kids' races, and I don't promote them heavily. At, uh, but, you know, I'll quite easily get sort of 50 odd kids turning up. Um, but, you know, at, primary, at kids' events, if you, if you get the marketing right, it's, you can get hundreds mm. relatively easy and that's in a small market like Christchurch mm, that's good. We'll be good. so it will be interesting to watch their progress I, I think this may be a name we hear a lot more about over the next period of time and, and good on Rich and his team for doing what you're doing because as you said it was really interesting he obviously knew the, the numbers with the amount of halves that have come on and was in the one year mm. like 40 a drop it's pretty mm. significant you yeah. know? so it's obviously a pretty tough game so well done to Rich and your team John sponsor athlinks.com okay social networking for endurance athletes tell me about it John keep all your results in one place um, I actually had a look at their Tough Man Minnesota event which they had last year and this is, so this is, a, this is a comment for you in this one they looked like they had uh 345 on the guys side of things finishing uh, 346 and on the girls 135 so okay. again you know you're getting out around that 500 mark and if we look at uh, some of our famous athletes finishes in there I saw a couple of names that um, that I know uh, Tim Holler was in second place he's uh, he does quite well at 70.3s so Tyler Leroy was uh, in he was our fifth athletes finisher so this one they swam 33 minutes he rode 218 ran 129 finished uh, fifth overall second in the 25 to 29 cool thing about this you can go on these events click on the athletes sort of that are on athletes and find out all the other results so you can see 
where you might fare in some of these events and what sort of uh, level they're at and you know some if you want to be going for a really elite type race you can kind of see if the standards typically to where you want to be or if you're sort of more targeting a, a more um, entry level race then you can go and uh, check them out so check out athlinks.com and uh, find out find out where those tough man races are tough man Minnesota mm. just looking at the, the, the weather, the weather. Yeah, com guys. Check it out. It's a place to store all your races, and in the long term, you will never regret that. Okay, Jombo, let's talk to Rob Wilby. Rob Wilby from Oxygen Addict. Okay, guys, we've got Rob Wilby back, um, and Happy New Year to Rob. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, and this is the time it's of the year. <laughs> it's the time of the year where Northern Hemisphere athletes, not so much Southern Hem- Hemisphere athletes, you know, they had their big Christmas dinner, and they're uh, packed on a few pounds, maybe, if they haven't been following their strict winter training program. Or the John Newsom diet. Don't eat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's time to sort of start thinking seriously about 2017 and uh, planning out the year. So we're going to have a bit of a discussion with Rob about this um, this you've heard him talk before about reverse periodization etc but this time it's going to be you know leading up to your Ironman or your 70.3 so Rob give us a bit of a um, an overview on on sort of how you break the year down yeah cool so um so we've talked a little bit before in detail about what we do in the winter so I thought what we do is discuss an overall plan for a year approaching your, your Ironman or your 70.3 race so everyone's heard of periodization and all that basically means is splitting your year up into chunks to make it a bit more manageable, both mentally and physically. And the way that I personally break these chunks up, instead of talking about base and build and things like that, I, I call them winter, spring, summer and winter uh, and autumn. <laughs> Got the yeah. seasons wrong there. <laughs> Gold. Edit that bit out of me. <laughs> so you got winter spring summer and then autumn where they don't necessarily have to line up with the physical seasons but we find that most of our athletes are racing in the physical you know the season of summertime anyway so it's it's worth thinking of it in those terms so the summertime or the summer season is going to be when you races so that's going to be our race build block the spring is going to be a block before that and then we've got the winter preparation time as the block before that when we're going to concentrate on ftp work which leaves us with autumn at the end of the season for kind of a bit of post race post a race fun and doing other races and things like that so that's the general way that we break the year down into four chunks okay so if we break those down you know your four different um blocks so you know you guys are still entrenched in winter and i believe it's a pretty shitty winter in the uk and most of north america seems to be (laughs) battling through winter so if you maybe sort of go through each of those periods in a little bit more detail yeah. Okay. So first up, we'll talk about we'll talk about winter, and what we're doing here is the period furthest away from your A race. We're going to concentrate on different things to what you need to specifically prepare closest to your A race. So as we lead up to the A race in the 12 weeks before, we're going to be doing a lot of longer distance stuff because that's what's most specific for your Ironman or your 70.3. So during the winter period, furthest away from your race, we're going to work on the thing that we can't work at in that time, which is going to be concentrating on raising your functional threshold power on the bike. So if we can get you stronger and fitter and faster on the bike during the winter, as you transition to riding outside more during the spring and summer, as you approach your A race, you're going to be faster for the same effort over any given distance. So our entire focus over the winter and and what we describe as winter here, we've got one or two blocks of about eight weeks, ideally each, where we focus on 
improving our functional threshold power with two real quality workouts a week doing that on one longer ride ideally outdoors but again doesn't have to be if the weather's absolutely terrible so that's our main focus there running you're going to do three times a week and just keep them short for the frequency of running and swimming is really going to go onto the back burner in this period of the year just because we're going to use our available training time and our available training energy trying to lift our game on the bike yeah, and uh, some people would argue that the British winter carries on for about eight months of the year. But the key thing, key thing with uh, <laughs> key thing with it is you've got to learn to love your trainer. And, and what Rob said there, you know, about doing that high intensity stuff on the trainer, it makes time go by a lot quicker. And um, and it's yeah, it's just it, it, all the physical benefits, but also the mental side of things. Just getting in there and ripping it up on the trainer in winter is a good, efficient use of your time. Yeah. And I think it also has the benefit that even if you live in a nice country where the weather's good, you can get your head down on the trainer and push the kind of power out that you can't outdoors because, you you know, maybe you're watching out for cars or traffic lights or whatever. It's just I'd recommend all athletes, no matter where they live, to do one of those sessions a week on the trainer, regardless of what the weather's like. So, yeah. So, so you come out of winter, uh, you're heading to spring, you've done, you've, you've improved your FTP. And so what, what, what's the kind of the focus as you head into your spring season? So as we get to spring, then we're going to change our focus and we're going to make this a run and a swim focus. So we're going to look at ideally an eight week block here. We're going to reduce the intensity of the biking. So instead of doing FTP work at 100 percent, we'll drop that down to sweet spot efforts or the sort of 85 to 90 percent of FTP and some big gear work on the bike. The key point about this block is we're going to work on our running. So we're going to increase our run frequency. That's going to really help our ability to do more training later in the year. So not necessarily doing massive miles, but running four times or maybe five times a week, um, relatively short runs there. So our body becomes really durable. Um, and I'm going to advise people, go and do a race at this time of year running-wise because at this at this point, you're desperate to go out and do a race. So I advise racing a half marathon or even a 10K. You'll be faster than you think because of all that hard work on the bike during the winter is really going to have improved your aerobic fitness and you've stayed in really good durable shape running-wise. So people often see a PB at this time of year running-wise even though they're like, I haven't done any speed work. I don't understand how I've got so quick. But I think it's that durability work that does it for them. Um, my advice is to not race a marathon in the spring, even if you're racing an Ironman and even if it's your first one, try and resist that temptation to do a spring marathon. Because if you if you go and race a spring marathon, it's going to leave you absolutely shattered for what can be weeks afterwards. And we really need to save that kind of training energy for, for focusing later on in the year, basically. Now, in terms of swimming, we're going to increase the swim frequency during this block. Ideally, we're going to go to three times a week at a minimum. And by the end of the block, we're going to get to the point where people are PBing over a one kilometer time trial. So they're really, really confident the swimming's improved. And that time trial is going to be swum bilateral. So instead of like a flat out 1K, it's limited by how hard they can swim swimming bilaterally. And that's going to give us a real good guide to how their aerobic fitness has improved on the swim. And then uh, Kiwis and Aussies start listening up because it's obviously summertime here, so you may be able to pick up a few <laughs> things from uh, Rob's summer tips. Yeah, not jealous at all about you guys having the summer right now, man, I'm telling you. All right, so in the 12 weeks leading up to our Ironman or 70.3, we're going to do the training that's most specific to the race. So we're going to start increasing the length of our long ride and our long run. And the fitter we are, the more experience we've got, the more long rides and the more long runs we can do at this point. So we're going to do specific race pace stuff. So we're going to be looking in the 
the top end of aerobic zone two heart rate or in the range of you know sort of beginner athletes with power meters we're looking in the 65 to 68 percent of ftp for ironman guys are a bit more experienced might be pushing it from 68 up to maybe 75 percent of ftp here and really practicing these long continuous aerobic rides i recommend at this time of year splitting up your long run and your long bike ride so I know traditionally a lot of people have said, you know, you've only got the weekend to train. So try and do your long bike ride on the Saturday and your long run on the Sunday. And that kind of makes sense on one level because it's, you know, in your head you think, well, the run is following the bike. But what we found is that you get a different kind of fatigue the day after a long bike ride than you do running straight off the bike. So I think if you're going to pick up an injury, it's probably going to be by trying to do a long run with really tired legs. So my advice is to split those two up. Do your long do your long run maybe a Wednesday or a Thursday night after work? Do your long ride on a Saturday or a Sunday? And then if you're doing your ride with slightly tired legs, I think that's okay. You've not got a huge injury risk there. You have got the injury risk if you're doing um, the long run on really tired legs the day after. Um, now, the exception to this is we're obviously going to have to do a couple of big weekends in preparation for the race itself. So on a couple of occasions during the main build, maybe three weeks out or maybe six weeks out from your goal race, we'll do a really big weekend of training where you do a big swim, bike, run brick um, that's really aimed at you know simulating the demands of your 70.3 or your half Ironman. And the the bike section of that is going to be about the same length as you're expecting the ride to take you in your goal event the run is only probably going to be 30 minutes off the bike on that same day and then you're going to back that up the next day with a long run and that's going to be your, your sort of experience of the hell weekend of getting to the end of that and thinking man i'm pretty tired at the end of this one nice and then uh, obviously autumn time for uh, for a bit of fun and games things like i've got over here i've got my sea to sky challenge which is sort of right at the end of our season or i imagine you guys have lots of other races so what do you sort of focus on during your autumn time fun and shenanigans yeah well it's exactly that man i think you've got to remember that you've done all this hard work and we've taken it really seriously and you've, you've done your big event for the year and you're super super fit so why not go out and make use of this fitness you're going to have to do much much less training to stay in shape than you had to do to get in shape so just enter as many events as you fancy during this period and just go out and have some fun you get a little bit more downtime you'll be a lot fresher you probably see you rocking up pbs in an olympic and 70.3 distance if you've raced ironman and at sprint and olympic if you've raced 70.3 and and at the end of that block you know let's say you've raced in mid-july in the in the northern hemisphere and then you've got a couple of months there to do some races and make the most of your fitness and then the real key part of autumn is to take a block of two to four weeks off from structured training and really just chill out and relax and you know take your mind off it for a little while and give your body a chance to rejuvenate before you're ready to jump into the next block of winter training and go off john's diet for a little bit oh, uh, no you never do that <laughs> hey so what's happening team um oxygenetic right now Right, so we've basically, John, we, we are, sorry, Bevan, we are open for business now, man. We've been closed until now, and this is our this is our two-week opening window for the year. So uh, hopefully people have enjoyed listening to what they've heard, and, and if it sounds like the kind of coaching advice that they've liked, we'd love to have your guys come and join up as members. What they'll get if they join is an event-specific training plan that's tailored to their fitness level and goals. They'll get advice from me in a monthly group video coaching call and in our private Facebook group. And they'll also get to hang out with the other team members in there, which has turned into like this really cool, supportive community of teammates there as well. Like I said, it's going to be the only chance to join this year because at the end of the two-week window, a 
we're closing it down so we can concentrate on the members that are in. And we've got a couple of special offers for your listeners. Um, we've got 50% off the joining fee for anybody who joins as a monthly member. That offer is going to end midnight Wednesday, the 18th of January, UK time. And we're offering big discounts for people who join up front for an annual membership. It's about a 40% discount on what it would cost to, to pay for the whole year as a, as a monthly member. Um, plus, for the first 50 people who join up as an annual member, they're going to get a free remote video swim analysis session worth over £50. That's for the first 50 people who join up to take care of that. And we've also got a free four-week training plan available if people want to actually see the training plan before they buy it and i think that's perfectly reasonable people are going to want to see what's going on um hopefully you guys will put the link in the show notes it's team.oxygenaddict.com forward slash free four week training plan with hyphens between each of those words there so they can go and check that out and have a taste of what they're going to get before they join and i'll put a link to it in www.imtalk.me so just go show notes for today's show and there'll be a link to that free four week training plan Fantastic, Rob. We all the best with your uh, your own winter training, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks, John. I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, mate. Awesome, mate. Love your work. It's good, you know. It's really is good to periodize your season, isn't it? It is. It's it's just you know you need that consistency year year on year. You need to be training consistently, and you hear that from pretty much every single coach. You know, if you train consistently through the you know through. 11 months of the year, that's what's going to bring the biggest um, improvements. But having that, that you know, varied approach is going to help your individual sports, um, you know, help you grow in your individual sports, but it's also going to keep it uh, more interesting as well. So, Well, because a lot of people just get in the habit of doing the same crap every day. Run, yeah, yeah. Three, three swims, three bikes, three runs every week. Yeah, and it's the same thing. And, you know, and they wonder why things don't change. Well, you know, we know about adaptation. You need to kind of stress your body in new ways to get better results. So if you can kind of think about your season, how Rob's talking about it, you can kind of go, well, here's the objective for this block based on time of year, based on weather. I can really nail some aspects of my training, which overall gets me to a better racing season. And that's, you know, if you're going to do the sport, you must as well do it the best way possible. So, exactly. Yeah, good so go times. Check out team.oxygenaddict.com. And once again, I'll have a link to that free four week training plan in www.imtalk.me. Jumbo questions and answers. Okay, Amanda Wilmer's got one here. And I'm organizing a training, a week's training camp this year for our London. Fields Triathlon Club, which finishes with a 70.3 at Challenge. How's that one? Rimini. It's in Italy. Rimini at the end. How would you suggest structuring the week? Most of the athletes attending would be Olympic middle distance athletes rather than regular aimed participants. I was trying to find your Kona Light Camp episode, but that didn't really cover it. So just, John, you've done a lot of these. How would you go about doing it? Yeah, so look, uh, first thing I'll say is you're going to Rimini. I haven't been there, but I'm actually looking at potentially doing a camp in Italy uh, in a couple of years' time. Um, And it's, by all accounts, that area is fantastic riding. um, Very, very good riding. So I think uh, you want to be getting out on your bike. So I guess really, and this applies to any of you guys that are maybe trying to plan your own individual camps that may be leading into a race, or if it's you're an organiser or a camp director or anything like that, you've got to kind of think what, your athletes are wanting out of the week are they doing that race uh, and the camp as a big long training week or are they doing it to specifically prepare for that race and I think in most cases you're going to be finding they're going to be using the week as uh, preparation for maybe their main race later on in the season um, so yeah it kind of depends what you're uh, after whether you're after a big training week or, or a few days training and then taper into the race 
either which either way you go, um, especially if you go into a place like Rimini in Italy where you're going to have some fantastic countryside, I'd certainly say the first few days of the camp you'd want to go fairly long in terms of going out for some long rides, even if they're only um, half an Olympic distance athletes. You know, going out for some, you know, 80 to 120k bike rides around the you know around the countryside there. I think everybody would enjoy that, especially if you're in Italy. You go to some beautiful little villages and uh, experience all those good um, bits of food, but obviously eating less, but uh, but still enjoying what you're doing over there. And if you keep it nice and aerobic, so not pushing the pace too much, you won't find you're too fried for race days. So, and what we do in Kona is we, I mean we go pretty long there because people want to experience um, the entire Ironman course so we do three to four days pretty big and by that I'm talking you know we're riding the entire Ironman course one day so 180 k's and we're doing um, a reasonable amount of training you right there Bevan having a bit of a stretch having <laughs> a stretch um, so we're having three to four pretty big days and then we'll have one to two sh- um, shorter days so still you know still maybe two to three hours training but um, sort of spread through the day and then we'll have the day off before the race and then do a 70.3 and the athletes tend to bef- despite all the training perform pretty well um, part of the reason for that is you, you keep the athletes very well fueled all the way through the camps um, so they're not sort of having those sessions where they're they might still blow up but but not through bonking or lack of nutrition uh, you, um, that just delays you know the next day you feel like rubbish so you want to keep your athletes really well fueled all the way through the days hydrated so we're typically doing aid stations every you know in Kona probably even every 30k's elsewhere maybe every 50k's where it's not quite so hot um, so plenty of good on-road support um, having some massage during the week so whilst you're doing some big training you're doing everything you can to make sure you're recovering quickly from those sessions so that's kind of how we lay it out in Kona and I'd be suggesting you probably do something similar over there in Rim but it just might be those first three days or so are moderately long rather than really long so you might go you know first day you might do a, a swim bike run day where you might say swim 2k bike 60k run 15k and the second day you might go and bike 120k and the third day you might do you know a moderately long day um, I think one of the keys would be not to do too much crazy running and we don't do a crazy amount of intensity but a couple of things you could add in there for camp. It's, it's always fun to have some little activities in camps, and a couple of things we sometimes do is a, a guess your guess your time 5k. Yep. Sometimes people are incredibly good at this. Sometimes people are incredibly crap at this. I was crap. The reason why I was crap, John, was because I thought I'd take it easy, and then once the race began, I got the competitive side of my ass off. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was well off. But that was when there was a uh, that was a race element. With this one, it is there's no points or anything. There's still okay. a little prestige prize for obviously who's first, second, third, etc. But uh, it is all about guessing your time. So you can choose what speed you want to go. And some people are hopeless. They're just well, minutes. The, the best strategy off. would be to go fast, wouldn't it? Because you probably know you're close to your top speed. Once you try to pace without a watch, mm. so your best strategy would go. Okay, well, let's just say you run 20 minutes for 5k. Your best strategy is go. Okay, if I'm pushing hard, it's 20, so I'm going to go 20, and then try to do a hard five. I think what I did when in Kona last year went moderate. It was just a moderate pace. So for me, I think I said 18:45 or something like that. So that's a firm pace, but it's not a hard pace. Yeah. And as you said, I think it's a lot easier to predict how that feels than your it, sort of easy mid range pace. Yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely agree. How, with that. how close were you? I was within a few seconds. Oh, well done. Yeah, yeah. No, did I was you very win? Happy with that, I did. Um, Simon early, um, motor mouth. Was he early? Was he, 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 was, he was running early because I saw his time that he predicted and I knew that I was pretty much on pace and through halfway I was like, I think I'm pretty close here. 
Dr. Feelgood Dave Dwan yells out our split at halfway and I was like, what are you doing? Oh, really? And we come, were, oh, come on, Dave. We were, we were within a second because we did two, two and a half K laps. We were within a second. I thought, sweet, because I knew that's my time and I knew he'd predicted about 45 to 50 seconds. So automatically, he, boom, he drops off straight away. Because he had to slow down. <laughs> that's an amateur mistake Dave, by Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> that's a shock. Yeah. <laughs> I was split. cursing him. <laughs> uh, we also one thing we used to do on Epic Camp as well. We used to do a wall sit. Bevan was particularly good at that. No, uh, Louis, uh, Louis, Louis, Klaus, the, yeah, Louis and Klaus. Yeah, and then uh, sometimes we do. A bit I was of good at the press up. I won the press up. up. Yeah, the rock throw was not yours forte. No. And then we uh, sometimes do a handicap race where you go up a like a mount, a climb or something like that and just try to stagger it. Just a loose. A bit of fun, say. Yeah. So there you go. Have fun in Rimini. Looks awesome. Just a couple of little quick emails. Uh, good old Tom Williams from the from Marathon Talk podcast. He just said he was listening to the show about how much people earn, and he just said through an article from the DailyMail.co.uk, and it's kind of just identifying how the richest athletes are in the UK. And Andy Murray is number one. He has a personal fortune of sixty-two million pound. Mm-hmm. It's not too bad. Wiggins is about thirteen million. Yeah, uh, but if you go down the page. Quite far down the page. Well, still in the top ten. So you got Mo Farah in there as well, uh, who's worth about four million pounds. So, but they have a combined predicted. wealth. So it's this br- is stupid. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, the, the combi- Brownlee brothers. It's not like they're married or anything. No, they have a combined wealth of three and a half million pound. I don't know how they pull these numbers out. I'm not quite sure where they get that. I, th- I, I can tell you where they get them. Where's it from? Their butt. They pull it out of their yeah, butt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think it'd be more than that, wouldn't it? I would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. But well, it depends on what they do with their money. Yeah. They might spend it all. Exactly. You know, they have no wealth. Yeah. Because wealth is not how much you earn. Mm. John, don't get me started on money. Right. <laughs> there you go. The Brownlees, uh, yeah, they're, they're one gold and silver, and they have a combined wealth they predict of 3.5 million. Which means they're in the top 10. That can't be right. Well, this is, no, this is the Olympians. Olympic sports. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, this isn't footballers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. There you go. So um, the, the big lesson from that is start playing tennis. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so there you go. So thanks for sending that through, Tom. And then next up, we've just got a couple of little quick ones I had in here. Good old Matt Young sent through a funny email. He goes, Bevan, just remember last week I was talking about Joe suggesting that we don't make love before the wedding? Yeah. And then Matt Young said, Joe just um, Joe wanted to cut you off for five weeks purely to get you ready for what married life is like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, made, yeah. that made me laugh. Yeah. So I want to meet Young on that one. And then Murray, I saw Murray, the Holy Hammer. Actually, just one thing, Seth, how to say, Ketzenstein. Yeah. He just got, I uh, just wanted to let you know that I tweeted endurance hours error them. And in the next episode, so this is about them referencing the Iron Man world record. They did mention Fredino set the world record at the at wrote. They love the sport, but they don't think they follow it as much as we do. So. Good work, endurance hour. Well done, well done, and well done, Seth, for getting on that. So Murray asked me a question. He said, well, "Wait, patrons, we have uh, James the Red Rocket Thomas, Rich. I mean, I'm sorry, Phil, the Rich Uncle Scott. <laughs> do you know what? You've told Phil the Scott. Story. No, but do you know what? My uncle was Phil Scott. Yeah." I'm not sure if I identified that bit. Right. That's no, gold. No. Uh, Grant Scalator, Baxter. Scalator? Scalator. From um, He-Man? Yes, yeah. that's right. Being Mystery, Mystery, Mr. E? What's that one mean? I don't know. Walton? These are all Sorry, historic. Sorry, completely copied You're a legend. Out. You're a legend. Bradley Speedo Odom. Good old uh, Paul the Hack. Calder? Calder. Calder, sorry, Calder. Down the road, he'll come and bloody hack you up. 
Yeah. Oh, because on Hexham Road. Yeah. Oh, cold, eh? He's a good man. Right. Mar- Murray, Murray's boy. story. Well, no, you just go, I saw him. I was at the runners. They were getting warmed up, and Murray was getting ready to go for his bike ride with his crew. And are you right there? Yeah, I was just going to do a high five that I sent Murray on text, given we've got some, you know, kill some time. It's a short show. Telling the story. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It was a Murray story. And, was, and, he, and he said that for his wedding, he waited a week for. Oh, right. <laughs> That's right. But he said, ask John about what he did post New Year's Eve that a 40 year old should have known. Post New Year's Eve that a 40 year old should have known. I don't know what he was on about, but he said that. He said, what did you do on New Year's Day? I went from two mountain bikes. And he said, you did something that you sh- should have known as a 40 year old that you shouldn't have done. I don't know. Mm. That's what we asked. Why well, sent Murray an email? This is this is a high five. One, two, three, four, high five. High five. High five for going out for a long training session. One, tell the family what you're doing. Number two, remind the family what you are doing. Number three, if you ignore number one and two, ensure that a florist is nearby. Oh no. Number four. I see where this is going. Irrespective of number one to three, <laughs> buy a partner a bottle of cho- their chosen alcohol. Number five. Consider taking the next day off. <laughs> Murray did something. Uh, so he went for a long ride? Skill, no, a long run. And I got a, an SOS call from his wife not knowing where oh the hell he was. No. Murray. Amateur hour? Yeah. What about those apps, those breadcrumb apps? Yeah, they don't work in the, on the Able Tasman track. Oh, is he out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Bevan, uh, we, weekly wedding update. What's happening this week? Uh, it's just fine-tuning now. Mm-hmm. Fine-tuning. Fine tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have a, we, we do our vows and stuff. We're going to do our vows on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, just confirming, really. Not much. There's not much of a wedding update now. Okay. I'm away next week, so Joe's just going to have to do it all. Which, to be honest, she's kind of done it all anyway. And you got speech. How many speeches are we going to be we're bracing for? Okay, so my dad wants to speak. Now that's a yeah. real surprise. Because yeah. in my family, I come from a long line of talkers. Yeah. My sister doesn't shut up. Yeah. My mum. My mum will come home from work. Jump on the phone, speak for three and a half hours nonstop, and she does yeah. a job where she talks all day. Yeah, my mum doesn't stop talking. If you've listened to this yeah. show for a while, we can we can understand. My dad, quite a quiet guy. Yeah, and uh, and then he comes up to me the other day and he goes, "Want to do a speech?" Yeah, which I was quite proud of him because it's a big thing for him. So he's going to do a speech. Joe's dad's going to do a speech. Joe's one of Joe's bridesmaids going to do a speech. Mm-hmm. Jeff the ref, yeah, is going to do a speech, and then myself and Joe. And we're going to split it. So we're going to do some speeches before the entree, do the entree, mm-hmm. and then do ones afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to up talk. I'm going to write my speech when I'm in Auckland. I won't be doing my eat less strategy at your wedding. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be going for seconds. <laughs> seconds. Yeah, well, no, because you're ordering. Oh, yeah, it's not, yeah. not, it's, it's, it, you can go salmon. Yeah. Or I think it's a lamb or a beef. I do like a bit of salmon. Okay. Well, so getting... it's not alternating? No. No. Good. We're going all out, John. Yeah. How's it? No cheap. Alternating wedding, yeah, no, yeah. no buffet wedding. Yeah, we're going, we're going all out. So we got that. We went and saw the photographer the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to get the photos done, and then what do I need to wear, Bevan? Oh, I was going to wear a suit, but without a tie. Is that going to make sense? Or yep. do, do no, you want no, ties? No, 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 that's all good. It's like, yeah. like Joe Tyler asked if his boyfriend can wear jeans. I said no, he's got to wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to wear pants. He's got to wear pants. Yeah. So uh, no, that's no, no, we're not anal. I don't like ties. I can't do a tie, John. Have I told you that? Mm, you? I, I can't even do a tie. That's your, that's your lack of private school education. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. And working in the fitness industry. I can't even do a tie. So I have told people I will learn by my wedding. That's your challenge that's, on your, on the day before. A tie-tying competition. You get points for, for speed and accuracy. The big, the, what is it? The double something? Yeah, yeah. 
What is it called? Set, set. <laughs> Windsor, half Windsor, full yeah, Windsor. Double Windsor right, or something. So yeah, double yeah. Windsor. So something about the Windsor. So, yep, and uh, we went and tried my suit. Mm-hmm. So the boys are wearing waistcoat, blue tie. Mm-hmm. I've got a, a, a creamy slash white waistcoat mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then a creamy slash white. Joe doesn't get confused. You're wearing yeah, something well, different. You know, That's the one. He's groomsmen are good looking men, so she, could, she may choose to, to not choose me. Yes. Admittedly, they're all married, so they would really be controversial. <laughs> um, and then that's about it, really. There's not much else. I'm looking forward to it, but I hope so. It's going to be awesome. Mm. Big day. Did I tell you how we cried? I told you how we cried eh, with the music. Yeah, we don't want to hear crying stories on this show. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Did you cry on your wedding day? No. You didn't John Newsome. No. What are we when Belinda walked up the aisle? No, no, I just smiled. And said, yeah. You're all you're right. <laughs> you're keep right. you on. I'll keep you on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best I can do. <laughs> oh, Holy Ham was there as well. Are you winning? Yeah, he was the celebrant. Oh, was he the celebrant? That's another story for another day. We're going two hours now. It's probably enough. I was here on time this morning. What's your goss? What's my goss? Uh, <laughs> yeah, when John sent me a text <laughs> last night, he goes, I'm going to come straight from swimming. I'm going to be here at quarter two. And, I, and I'm teaching on a Tuesday morning now. So I said, well, I'll probably get there at the same time. Two past eight. Yeah. <laughs> But Dave, Dave, <laughs> blame, blame Dave Wine again Dave. for that one. What's your goss? Um, what's my goss? School holidays are always a challenging time around the Newsom household, but it's uh, we had fantastic weather, so the kids have been in the pool. A good week of training. St- my focus at the moment, I'm moving into bringing back my running, so I've done, oh, I've done a bike focus, nice. and uh, and so I've dialed back all the not all the intensity, but dialed back the intensity, and then increasing my running so the legs taking a bit of a pounding playing around with the play around with the, the old stride hey, power meter a little bit um i will reserve my comments until i've done a bit more no research. just give me a first update well i did some hill reps the other day did you do the test no okay no you, no. you need to but you've got the 390s you can do yeah no i understand that but I, I had someone who did the test um last week and when you're ever doing any tests whether it be biking or running or whatever you kind of to get the best out of you. Fresh. You kind of got to you, know, you got to prepare for that. You know, if I was to go and do a, a ten minute time trial on the bike um, now, having not done much intensity for a couple of months, I'm going to do a really shitty result, which I don't think is going to reflect where my fitness is actually at. And if I just went out and did a running test now, um, I don't think it's going to reflect my current fitness. You need to do some preparation sessions so for some it. intense work. And I kind of yeah. And so what what I, what was interesting for me last night is I did a, an hour run and I was basically trying to run at um, Ironman pace the whole way through. So I did 30 minutes of core, did a K warm-up, and then do one hour, and it was pretty hot last night. Yeah, it was hot last night, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to sit on 4 minute 15 per K. And so my first few Ks are a bit quick because they had a tailwind and then sort of even and out, and then turned into the headwind, and um, heart rate went up a little bit, so I was putting a little bit more effort in. The pace went down a little bit, but I would have expected my power to go up, but it didn't. So that was just one little session where I thought, hmm, I would have thought power should have really gone up in that stage. So do you think the tools, I don't know, it's early day? One one session. So yeah. when I did hill reps the other day, it all looked pretty accurate. I did three what hill kind of reps. Power, what kind of power are you doing on the running? Um, when I was running uphill and it wasn't too hard, I think it was three, three, uh, 300, 315, 330 or something like that. Because I've got a hamstring working, because I want to do a marathon this year because I want to do New York next year, so I need to qualify. So I've got a little bit of a hamding kind of injury right now, but I'm kind of, won't be running. Hamding or hamstring? Well, I like to say hamding to be funny, John. <laughs> <And> <laughs> We're all laughing. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm a few weeks away, but I'm really, Joe's, I'm getting Joe to use it, and I'm trying to get her to do a test, but she's not that keen yet. So, <laughs> okay, go, you got to do the test. Because I'm not going to run hard today. So, um, but yeah, we'll be jumping If you're going to do the test, 
I would suggest you do three nine. Do do it, maybe give yourself a plan for maybe two weeks and just do a few little Burst. intensity sessions just to get ready and maybe do even do a trial test where you might do it at sort of ninety percent rather than one hundred percent. It's not a it's not going to test. It's going to leave you ruined for. It's just giving you training zones, but it's so mm. you can then work on your zones. Mm. But anyway, so just going going back. Oh, so everything's good. Yeah, we're good. Just just one thing I did do on the weekend, John. Pump body pump. 100. You didn't make one network news. I was looking for you. No, they did in Auckland. I know. Yeah. It was pretty massive, but it was all over the bloody internet. So um, <clears throat> we talked pump at midnight. Mm. So everyone knows what a pump class is. <clears throat> now, for those who don't know, Les Mills invented pump. That's what made Les Mills the company it was. It was this little small New Zealand gym chain with maybe four gyms in the country. And they had aerobics classes. And then they thought, we well, should do, a, they wanted to get more women to do weights. Mm. So they thought, well, how do we get women to do weights? And they thought, why don't we do an aerobics class around weights? So they started pump. And that's actually what like Les Mills now has, I think, 150,000 instructors and about mm. 5 million people do their classes every week. Mm. So it's a pretty big business. And uh, it all started with Pump. And so on on Friday night, luckily I almost cocked this one up because they said on the 14th at midnight. So I was thinking, okay, Saturday night. Yeah. But it was Friday night or Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. And so, but anyway, turned up, did Pump class. It was good fun. It was heaps of fun. But I tell you what, exercising at midnight, it, it, the fi- workout was fine. You're not going to sleep for a few hours afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It was not good. Yeah. And you get, especially, especially after doing weights, because you feel pumped, you know, yeah. like you do feel a bit amped. So I literally sat in bed next to Joe till about three. <laughs> <laughs> to, how many weeks till that wedding? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then woke up at five because I had to coach. It was yeah. a long day on Saturday, John. Oh dear. A long day. Anyway, that's, that's pretty much us. I'm Russ. I'm a note. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker. Kicker.